edition of TSFP, the Spanish football podcast. I'm Phil Kitt from Elides. Uh, I'm with Sid Lowe as ever, not physically, but he has joined me on the line. He's still very, very far away from me in the lovely province of Cadiz. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm okay. Good uh, good time to be on holiday, this. Yeah, it's a very good time to be on holiday. At least that's what I thought until until I was asked to write about Rubialis uh, late last night. And I thought, oh, um, and sort of, you know, the, the, the kind of the late scramble to make phone calls, to speak to people, to try and try and get a sort of a handle on, on, on this increasingly bizarre and surreal as well as very important story. Uh, the latest bit this morning being his mum locking herself in a church and going on a hunger, hunger strike until, until what she described as the bloodthirsty hunting down of her son comes to an end. Um, just getting back to that, did you not respond when you were asked to write, sorry, I'm on holiday? Well, no, because of course what I'd done is I'd, I'd agreed that my holiday would not involve the weekend's games and the Monday column. Ah. Um, but then basically the, the, the request essentially was, well, the Monday column can be about Ruby Alice then. Right, okay. And so it was, and so it, uh, it very much was. A lot of things have been about, have been about Luis Rubiales uh, over the last uh, seven days or so, as you said, the increasingly surreal and bizarre and really quite uh, difficult to fathom a situation involving the uh, currently suspended uh, president of the Spanish Football Federation, who's been suspended by, by FIFA. Um, Spanish Football Federation seems hell-bent on taking Spanish football down with Luis Rubiales, the... Um, evidence of that being their request that UEFA intervene to expel Spanish clubs from from its competitions. Can you explain what what on earth has gone on there, Sid? Yeah, I'll try to. <laughs> I will try to explain it. Um, I, I think it's probably worth pointing out that the the request wasn't please intervene and ban our clubs. The request was please intervene. Not overtly. No, exactly. Um, but but it comes with it that consequence, and of course the request is made knowing that that's a potential consequence of of, of what's asked for. Um, essentially, the request was there have been there has been government governmental inf- interference with the Spanish Football Federation over the course of the last week. Um, that of course goes against uh, FIFA and UEFA rules. Uh, we would like you to effectively intervene and 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 make the threat that this that this could have very serious consequences for Spanish football because the Spanish state, the Spanish government is seen as having intervened. Now, of course, you take that to its logical conclusion and the, and the fundamental threat is, do you want this? Because if you follow this through, there will be no Spanish teams in Europe. Now, it's extraordinary, really, to feel like you're in a position in which there's a willingness to do this, essentially in defence of one man, more than in defence of the Federation. Now, I suppose you could argue... Um, and with a with a degree of discomfort, you could argue that there is a sort of a logical argument here, which is this is about some sort of principle. This is about the idea that um, you don't have interference, and therefore, if there is interference, then you 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 have to stop this, and you can't have government interference. But but essentially, it would be about protecting one man. Uh, it's also worth noting here at the moment that the suspension of Rubiales, while it is absolutely true that there's been government involvement in this, while it's absolutely true that this starts um, in part with comments from government ministers at the very start of the whole process, uh, talking about the kiss, um, with uh, Pedro Sanchez, the president of the government, saying that Rubiales is... Um, apology was not sufficient. It starts with all of that, but it is FIFA 
that have inhabilitated. Is that the right word? Sanctioned, banned, put on hold. I don't know what you call it. Rubiales at the moment. Yes, uh, suspended. Uh, Rubiales. Suspended is the word I'm looking for. I can't believe I didn't know the word suspended. Yes. Inhabilitated. I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure that's uh, that's a word. That's very English. Spanish. That's very, that's very uh, Spanish. But but yeah. So here we are, uh, still talking about Luis Rubiales, and it's still being really big international news. I mean, not to. I mean, I've had quite a few requests today, uh, three different requests today from three separate media outlets to, to go on and talk about it, international uh, yeah. outlets to, to explain to people in the English-speaking world what's going on. Obviously, you're writing about it. This is a huge story, and it's, and it's not gone away. I guess I feel like this has... Uh, I was talking about this today to someone else, and the feeling that I have is that this has sort of snowballed a bit, and if this hadn't become such a big international story... Do you somehow have the feeling that this maybe might have been swept under the carpet a little bit in Spain if it hadn't become such a big international deal that it wouldn't have been such a big deal in Spain? Do you think that's contributed to what's what's happened? I do think that this is a case that feels like it didn't... Um, it may not have got to this point. I think that's absolutely true. And I think it may not have got to this point because it, it's not just about the act itself, I don't think. I think it's about the, the management of the crisis. I think you're right. It's about international reaction. I think it's worth pointing out that, uh, and you know, this speaks to what you were saying before about the, the, the discussion about um, political interference, that if you like, the first and most significant comments against Ruby Alice's actions, the most significant ones came from the government, came from governmental figures. It came, came from figures within politics. And so there was a desire, I think, to, to push it through at that point. I think this is part of the reason, of course, why Rubialis has talked about political pressure and so on. Um, I think it was perfectly plausible that this um, could have maybe not entirely ended there, but have not been particularly significant. Had it not been pushed through, had he then apologised in a better way and had it then not get gotten picked up on and, and snowballed. But of course, you look at this and you think, well, that at least in part is because at every step of the way, Rubiales and the Federation got it wrong. At every step of the way, they, they, they made it worse. Now, obviously, there is a fundamental fact at the start of all of this, and, and, and that matters. But in terms of where it goes, in terms of the management of it, I think what came next definitely mattered. It really did matter. And, and, and I think you're right. I think the internationalisation of this is is very much a part of that all right listen uh, we started uh, last week's podcast by talking about it we started this week's podcast talking about it um there's no guarantees that we won't be starting next week's podcast talking about it as well but uh, at the moment i i guess we'll just park it to one side and and see where this see where this goes what the next twist in the tail is i must say i did not have hunger strike on my bingo card but there it is um let's let's move on and and, and talk about the football that happened uh, this week by the way if you're if you're enjoying TSFP so far this season, why not join us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Patrons get a Q&A pod and a bonus pod every single week, plus Al's paper reviews, our series TSFP Presents and Rincon Cultural, plus you can join the fantastic community on the TSFP Discord. All that for around €4 Euros a month. Sign up for a year and get 10% off. Here's what happened on match day three then. Uh, Friday night wasn't particularly exciting. Las Palmas and Real Sociedad played out a goalless draw while Real Madrid uh, needed a late goal to win 1-0 at Celta Vigo. Obviously, it was Jude Bellingham who scored it, his fourth goal 
in three matches, three consecutive games, uh, scoring for Real Madrid. The last person to do that in his first three games was Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, then on Saturday, Sydney was at the Estadio Nuevo Mirandia to see Cadiz concede a 94th minute equaliser against Almeria. It finished at 1-1 in the Andalusian derby. Uh, there was an exciting game uh, a few hundred miles up the road in Granada uh, with the home side at the Estadio Nuevo Los Carmenes beating Mallorca by three goals to two. And then on Saturday night, a really big win for Girona, beating Sevilla by two goals to one. It's the first time ever that Sevilla have lost their opening three matches of a La Liga season. And we're getting deja vu all over again. Uh, then on Sunday, we had a terrific day of football, loads of goals and much cooler temperatures across Spain. I don't know if the two things are linked, but the drop in temperatures saw a, a rise in the number of goals. An absolute partidazo at the Estadio de la Ceramica, Villarreal 3, Barcelona 4. More on that in just a second. Uh, Osasuna scored deep into injury time uh, to beat Valencia 2-1 at Mestalla. An athletic club came from 2-0 down to win 4-2 at home to Real Betis. At Monday Night Football, there are two games in uh, Madrid that Sydney will not be able to attend, tragically, but at least I'm keeping up things for the side by going to Rayo against Atleti. Before that, there's Getafe against Alaves. Very excited because it's the first opportunity for me to use my Rayo season ticket, which I spent 12 hours queuing for yes. on Wednesday in 40 degrees <laughs> in 12 hours. Some people are, are using the adjective heroic. I think... Some, I mean, I'm not me, but some people are yes, absolutely you know, pure heroism. No, no, I, I, I yeah. am. Uh, I wish I didn't have to perform. Do you know what you'd have to do? Magnificent act of heroism. The, yes. <laughs> what you need to do, this needs to be like, um, like, like a football club with the amortisation. Every game you go to, you say, well, that was an hour of queuing. And, and, and after 12 games, you would have paid off your queuing. Right, yes. <laughs> could, could, could view it like that as well. But on a serious note, it really was an absolute bloody disgrace. <laughs> the way that yeah, Ryan fans is, yes, are treated absolutely. by uh, the club is uh, really quite poor. And to have people queuing for 12 hours in extreme heat. There were no toilets. There was no water laid on by the club. I myself saw two people collapse and need um, ambulance treatment because of the heat. No provisions by the club. It really was genuinely disgraceful. And Rio, the club, do not deserve the uh, magnificent and uh, uh, very passionate fans that they have. Anyway, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk more Rio later on in the week, I'm sure, uh, after they inevitably beat Atletico Madrid. Let's talk about that Tremendous game at the Estadio de la Ceramica, which saw Barcelona win 4-3. They were 2-0 up, then 3-2 down and ended up winning 4-3. It was the second game in a row that Lamin Yamal started, with Rafinha being suspended. He started last week against Cadiz and played really, really well. Started yesterday against Barca and was Barcelona's most important player in that game. One assist, one involvement in the winning goal, hit the would work twice as well. Uh, it was a, a really, really tremendous individual performance from a 16-year-old, an extraordinarily young young man. And let's talk about it. Let's talk how good he was. But I also said, I think we need, we've almost got like a duty of care not to, not to hype it up too much, not to get completely yeah. carried away because he is just a child, a literal child. He only turned 16 uh, a couple of months ago. He is extremely young. We've seen this before and we really, really mustn't get carried away. And quite a few people said, you know, we mustn't get carried away and then proceeded to get extremely carried away. Mm. So we, we, we really shouldn't do that. The performance was very good though. 
Yeah, and, and, and this is a recurring theme, isn't it? Whenever a young player comes through, there's always a, um, there's always a, a risk of getting carried away. I think that's natural because it's exciting. It's exciting to see a new talent. It's exciting to see a kid. There's sometimes something about the way, not always, but something about the way that kids play that actually is almost more enjoyable than older players, that maybe there is that sort of slight hint of irresponsibility or at least that they haven't had the fear drilled into them yet. You would expect sometimes that it works the other way around, but I think on occasions it works that way around, that actually players really go for people all the time when they're younger and, and, and therefore are, are more, more interesting to watch. I, I think... Well, you sent it to me earlier. There's a nice line. Was it, it was Santi Jimenez, wasn't it? I think in Ass that, that Hood said that you know it, it's not up to Xavi to be careful with him because what Xavi needs to do is play him. It's up to the rest of us to be careful with him now. You know, to not yeah. try and put the pressure on him. I think I think players are reasonably well protected by clubs. I think it's partly about um, about that player's kind of own mindset. Um, there's no doubt that he's in the team because he's good enough. And Xavi himself was saying this after the game. He said, "Look, he's not in the team." I love this word in Spanish because I can't translate it particularly well. Uh, cap- it's not a capricho. <laughs> it's not. It's not like it's not like me doing this on a whim. A whim. Yeah, it's not me doing this because I fancy it. He's playing because he deserves it. And here comes the next part of this debate, of course, which is: Does he deserve it even when Rafinha's back? And I think the shorter answer is probably yes. Uh, now, obviously, that means you can rotate him. That maybe you can protect him. Maybe you can try and make sure, ensure that he doesn't get injured. Perhaps as well, bring him down a peg or two once in a while. I can't remember who it was I was listening to recently. Um, some old player in England who was talking about how he had been in the dressing room after a game where he felt he, he thought he played really well and the manager just tore, tore strips off him and said he was terrible when he was a really young kid said you're absolutely awful and all the rest of it and, uh, and then about a week later the manager called him into his office and just said you played brilliantly I'm just trying to you know I'm just trying to keep your feet on the ground <laughs> um, which I thought was quite I, I think there's something in that um, but he's, he's very, very talented. And I think he's important as well because I think this is a team that, that maybe lacks people who stay wide um, or at least as a starting point, start wide and then come in at people who are prepared to run at people who are prepared to be a bit daring, who are protect, pre- prepared to break the game up a little bit, particularly with the departure of Dembélé. But also the thing that Xavi talked about and I thought it was very important post-game, he said, this is a kid who makes the right decision all the time, well, nearly all the time. Almost And, and I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. true, and I think that's very important because you're talking about a player who has the quality to run at people and go beyond them, but doesn't just try and do it all of the time. Um, Chavi said, "Doesn't run." Go on. Chavi said, "That's the most important thing in football. It's the most important thing a footballer can do is to make the right decision." And I, I think he's right. Um, and, and I think, by the way, that right decision also sometimes means having the nerve to attack people because it's very easy to say, "Well, the right decision, yeah, don't make mistakes, don't overplay, don't run at people when you shouldn't, don't." take yourself down 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 you know a blind alley but I actually think there is also that decision that says you know what there's the gap go and take it don't play the safety pass all the time do try and open the game up do try and make things happen and I thought in a performance that was slightly curious Barcelona were good in patches and particularly once they got themselves back in the lead I felt Villarreal just weren't in the game anymore but I didn't think they'd been very good for the first hour at all no, no, no. And when they were 2-0 up, it was uh, certainly a bit of a uh, uh, um, deceptive scoreline. Villarreal played, played some really nice football, uh, actually, as, you, as you'd expect from a Kike Setien side. But they were, they were really terrific in, in, in parts. And the, the Sorloth goal is a, is a wonderful move. Yeah, so I, I thought two of the three goals were really lovely. Um, I thought the Alex Bayena one was really, really nice yes, goal as well. Yeah. Um, 
and, and started by the goalkeeper as well with a, with a neat neat pass the wing and it kind of opens up very quickly and they make the most of it but I thought as you say you sort of expect this from a Setien team I suppose the disappointment would be and Setien admitted this post game that he didn't actually put it in these terms uh, and this is me putting in these terms but I'll come on to what he said in a second once they got caught once that 3-2 had been taken off them I kind of felt like they folded a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked post-game, not necessarily in, in, in mental terms, but he talked about how there was a moment when they kind of fell out the game. Um, I think he, he probably saw it more in physical terms than anything else. And, and, and that's one of the things we sometimes forget, I think, about Madrid and Barcelona is that, generally, and particularly Madrid more than Barcelona, but I think it's partly applicable to Barcelona as well, that they're physically very good teams as well. They're, they're, they're normally teams of, of good athletes. And that's one of the many things they have over other sides, the strength in depth in terms of the changes you can make and so on as well. Because, of course, Ferran comes on, plays very well, I think probably I think probably makes a, a relatively strong claim for a place in the starting eleven. And, and I, I was slightly disappointed by the kind of the tail off from Villarreal, but I thought they played really, really well for about an hour. Uh, Ferran Torres in the starting eleven at the expense of whom? There's the question for you. So, <laughs> does he play as the wide man coming in and, and getting into the area despite starting off wide. And I think that's a role that can suit him. Although then you ask yourself, well, is it from the right or the left? And, and how do you fit uh, Yamal into that? How do you fit Rafinha into that if indeed you play him? What happens with Ansu Fati if indeed you play him? I suspect, to be honest, that you don't. Do you even want two wide men when you've been playing, if you like, with a kind of a false wide man, an extra midfielder? Although actually the last couple of games we've seen different formations and, and I think we saw a, a slight tweak in that again this week. Um, so that leads me to the answer, which is that I, I guess in part what you were getting at, the sort of the big headline answer, and the big headline answer is in place of Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> Let's see, it, it did feel like Ferran was the only replacement that they had for Lewandowski in this squad uh, at the moment and uh, Lewandowski hasn't started the season off particularly well. Uh, let's see. Anyway, uh, there's lots for us to discuss. If you want to, us to talk more about Barcelona or Villarreal, send us a question and we'll answer it on tomorrow's uh, Q&A pod. Uh, moving on to uh, Real Madrid's game at Celta Vigo, which wasn't a particularly great game. Uh, to be honest, uh, Celta Vigo played well in, 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 in parts and maybe un- unfortunate not to get anything from it. Vinicius Jr. going off early on and getting injured and it looks like he's going to be out for four or five weeks, which... Uh, we're not used to because he's a, a player that's not had many injuries at all, uh, which is extraordinary given the uh, level of explosiveness he plays with and given the number of fouls he draws as well. But uh, he's going to be out for a while. Uh, José Lu came on and replaced him and that does kind of condition a little bit how, well, a little bit, a lot how Real Madrid play. But unfortunately, they've got Jude Bellingham to pop up and score another centre-forward-ish goal, uh, Sydney, in, the, yeah. in that advanced position. That's exactly the key thing here. Um, obviously, the number of goals is significant. You look at this and say, all right, well, he's top scorer in La Liga. He's got four goals already. This is uh, my favourite stat of this weekend is he's already got more goals than Eden Hazard had in his entire Real Madrid career. As many is, goals. As many. As many, goals. yeah, which is, which yeah. is extraordinary. Um, I, I, I think you're right. They, they, you look at the goals and they're all around the six-yard box. They are all a, a product of that uh, of that much more advanced position. The fact that he plays with two centre-forwards. Although, I don't want to overplay this because, of course, he scores this goal with Rossello on the pitch. But I do think it's partly yeah. a product of the fact that he plays with two centre-forwards that open, that split, and he goes through the middle of them into those kind of positions. And actually, there's a nice bit of footage, I don't know if you saw it last night, of Rossello t- saying to him before the corner... I'll come back, you go in, I'll nod it on. And basically the goal is exactly what Rossellu tells him it's going to be. 
Um, <laughs> I think he, he reads the game really well. And, and, you know, this is, there is a slight contradiction here, if only a contradiction of what I've said, which maybe means that the conclusion is never to listen to me. But I still think I like him as a player when he's everywhere. And yet, of course, the, 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 the decisiveness has come with him very, very close to, to the opposition's goal. Um, you said, you know, uh, he's going to get 20 goals this season. At this rate, he's going to get 20 goals before Christmas. Now, I know that's probably not going to happen. But in all competitions, I don't think it's totally implausible. In fact, I think it's quite likely he gets 20 goals in all competitions this season. Um, I think he's got that nice combination of opportunism, physicality. Because bear in mind, he dives in ahead of I do at the weekend. And I do is, is big and strong and doesn't allow you to, to kind of lean his body out of the way to get beyond him. Um, he, the goals are not kind of products of the way that Bellingham plays, which is also very good. And in terms of his overall game, this was possibly his least impressive. But there he is with the Definitely. goal again. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just I think he's brilliant. I think he's really brilliant. Uh, kept- Kepa made his debut for Real Madrid in goal and he was perhaps fortunate to keep a clean sheet because Real Madrid conceded early on a goal that was then subsequently ruled out for a foul on uh, on Kepa. He's not necessarily a goalkeeper that, as they say in Spanish, transmits security, or is he? Maybe, maybe more than Lunin, but nowhere near as much as Courtois, I wouldn't say. Not yet, definitely. And, and I, I, I think you're right. In fact, I would, ex- I would expand on what you said. Um, fortunate not concede. I think there are two moments in the first half on Friday night when he is rescued by a referee being incredibly over generous to goalkeepers. And, and I think it's a recurring theme. It's not about it being Real Madrid. It's not about it being Kepa. But on two occasions at the weekend, I think he's very weak coming for the ball. I'm not saying he's weak overall, but on those two occasions, he was very weak coming for the ball. I think the goal that was ruled out. I think we can have an argument about this if, if, if you want. I don't mean you and me. I mean, people in general, we can argue about whether this is, a, this is a, a foul or not. In my view, it's never a foul. You don't give a foul for that. But I absolutely do accept that you, when you see the replay, frozen, not in real time, frozen, there's a hand that's got hold of part of the shirt. But I think a good, strong goalkeeper, doesn't, does, that doesn't stop him. And actually, to be fair to him, he does just about get a fist on it but he doesn't get a particularly good fist. Uh, and and I, I, I thought he looked kind of weak on those two. That said, look, it's early, there's plenty of time. In theory, at least, and this is one of the curious things about this, in theory, at least, he's been in a football where he's going to be buffeted about more than he is here. And that here he will get more protection, and so maybe that won't matter as much. And maybe he should actually have some of those qualities inbred having... Inbred's not the right word, but built into him now, having, having played in, in England. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, it didn't transmit a huge amount of security. Inbuilt, I think, is the word. Not yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Bred into him, I suppose. But inbred, <laughs> inbred has all sorts of different connotations, that's something which else, were what yeah. were, were what I intended. No. Um, at San Mamés, Isco scored his first goal for Real Betis, and again continued to look good after two man of the match performances in his first two games for Betis. But then Athletic ended up. Uh, producing an, an extraordinary comeback and the Williams brothers together uh, combining and helping the side, not scoring, but but providing uh, assists and, and, and being important. And then there was, a, there was a really nice interview with both Williams brothers on, on Spanish TV post-match, wasn't there? Yeah, really nice, the two of them together. And they were, there, was, there was a moment when Iñaki is asked, you know, what do you prefer, scoring goals or providing an assist? And, and he basically, well, if it's to my brother, I prefer, I prefer to provide assist. I prefer to see him smile. And also, he's still trying to get a new contract, so it would help him. Yeah. Um, Iñaki is, is, is fabulously well paid. Um, Nico isn't yet, which I suppose is part of the, the whole kind of debate about what happens with his future. And I think he's 
probably less inclined to stay for his whole whole career than, than, than Iñaki is. And they were really, really good. And it was, I mean, it's interesting as well because when they play as the two wingers, and obviously we've seen Iñaki play as a centre-forward a lot, um, that means Gordotheta playing through the middle. And there's been moments when it feels like Ernesto Valverde is not completely convinced by Gordotheta in that role. But I think it takes maybe some of the responsibility for goal scoring away from Iñaki, which in a way maybe almost helps him score goals. If you sort of mean, it takes some of the edge off. And, and there was a nice moment last night, actually, during the interview with Andrea Orlandi, um, who both me and you absolutely love. I think he's a brilliant pundit and has, I think he's really bright and, and, and very alert, was, was saying that he feels like over the last year or so, there's, there's more precision in Iñaki's game, maybe a bit more calmness, maybe a little, a, a little more, more awareness of what's going around him. Iñaki said yes. I mean, I don't know if he kind of, the way the question was posed, he almost felt like he had to say yes. But it's very interesting because he was talking about how Ernesto Valverde is teaching him different positions to receive the ball in, moments to receive it. And, and, and I think we probably saw a little bit of that. Now, obviously, that changes whether he plays centre-forward or on the wing. Um, but but it, they were both very, very good indeed last night. And, and it's, it's very significant because, of course, they had that really bad start to the season against Real Madrid. They, it's not just that they lost to Real Madrid. That can happen. They didn't play well. Mm. But they, 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 they played played really quite well in Pamplona um, and they played I thought after the first 10 minutes very very well indeed last night yeah uh, big win for uh, Athletic Club recovering from going 2-0 down inside 10 minutes to uh, to beat Betis 4-2 uh, quickly a mention of Sevilla who are bottom of the table three defeats out of three uh, the uh, crowd at the uh, Estadio Ramon Sanchez Pijuan were calling for Pepe Castro the president to, to, to go um, I mean this game they were, I think, unfortunate to lose. Yeah. They had uh, enough chances to uh, easily, easily have gotten something uh, from it. But they haven't. And they're bottom of the table. And they've started in similarly poor fashion as last season. As we said, even worse, because it's the first time ever that they've lost three from three. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, that, that in itself is obviously very concerning. I think the way that the fans turned on Pepe Castro uh, tells you that there's an awareness that winning the Europa League last year kind of shouldn't have happened. And that, that, that sort of was out of the blue. Um, that no, they shouldn't have been in as much relegation trouble as they were, but nor were they a team that could aspire to the things they could aspire to as recently as two or three years ago. Um, that there's been a, a, a kind of a growing weakening of the squad, that some of the signings haven't succeeded, um, that this squad has some flaws. Though I actually think if you look at the starting 11, if everyone's fit, it's a really quite a good team. But I do think there are some flaws a, a, across the squad. Um, Rakitic after the game, and, and this, this fits with what you were saying, and you know, they, they, they did enough to have won this. He said after the game, this doesn't feel like the same as last year. He yes. says, he says we, yeah. we, we were beaten, but this doesn't feel like then. Now, that's partly because Rakitic's own relationship with Mendelebar is better than it had become at the end of the time. A little bit with Lopetegui, but not really Lopetegui, but certainly with Sampaoli. Uh, the, the, the relationship then with the dressing room in San Paolo was, was virtually broken. Um, and, and so I wouldn't necessarily panic yet, but I think there, is, there has to be an awareness that, that there's some gaps in this squad. And, and you know, I wouldn't be that amazed if, if, if there were still departures as well. Uh, there's definitely going to be departures, I think, between now and the end of the yeah. uh, transfer window. It's going to be a busy uh, couple of days in that part of Andalusia. They need players in and they think they need to move players on as well so keep your eye on what happens in Seville or that part of Seville because it should be pretty busy speaking of transfers uh, Real Sociedad have signed Kieran Tierney uh, on loan from from Arsenal for a season Al has put here in the production notes trust me he's great so 
Uh, we'll take we'll take your there word you for it out. Yeah. Uh, I'll also I'll also said you know he he has the uh, ability to perhaps be the best fullback in in La Liga. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, hopefully for him and for everybody involved, it's a more successful deal than the last time a fullback from North London uh, joined La Liga because Matt Doherty's time at Atletico Madrid <laughs> was basically non-existent. So yeah. uh, let's see if what this is, is a this is a better deal or not. I think it was 14 minutes over two games, wasn't it, Matt Doherty in total? Something like that. It really, really wasn't very much at all. Um, let's hope it's a bit more like when Nacho Mondial left Arsenal to go to Real Sociedad. That would, that would, that would work a lot better. Yes, uh, let's, let's hope that. Uh, before we go, this is what happened in the Segunda División Zaragoza, at top of the table, the only team with three wins out of three after winning 1-0 at Tenerife. Espanyol, Racing Ferrol... And Levante all follow them on seven points. Uh, Ferrol, who beat Sporting Gijón 2-0. And Valladolid lost 2-0 at home to Alcorcón. Uh, fortunately for you, Sydney, you're in Cadiz. Otherwise, you would have been in Burgos watching Oviedo lose 1-0. Because that's a, a trip that you seem to make every season up to Burgos. Uh, you saved yourself the, uh, the bother this time. So uh, <laughs> at, least, uh, uh, at least you didn't have to go up there. So there we go. Um, that's it for uh, today's edition of TSFP. Don't forget we're over at patreon.com forward slash tsfp for the rest of the week with loads more content ask us questions we'll answer them on the q a pod bonus pod coming up as well later on in the week and loads of extra content for around four euros a month hopefully uh, it's good value Uh, we'll see you over there and if you don't want to be a patron that's all right we'll see you here as ever next week adios cheerio (laughs) 